0: Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is the incorrigible Zach Mabry. Zach, how are you, my friend?
1: Well, I'm not corriged. that's for sure. Mm -hmm.
0: That's right. I had a teacher once in high school say that I was incorrigible, and I thought it was a compliment, and I like to think it is, but I... Uh, I was told that it might not have been a compliment. I think I learned that term from The Sound of Music. Did they have who, who was incorrigible? Which one?
1: I don't know. One of the boys, Pete, Peter. I don't know. I don't remember. Classic. Classic. Classic.
0: If you want to pay us a compliment, you can tweet us at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry, Z A C Mabry. Email us podcast at RomanCircusBlog.com. We are on Patreon, Patreon.com/RomanCircusPod. For the month of April, we are just releasing all our Patreon episodes as normal episodes. So, never a better time to check that out. Yes, right, our want...
1: COVID nineteen relief response for our listeners is free mm-hmm. Patreon.
0: Our what our stimulus package is one trillion podcasts. Yes, uh, if you tri- want to go to which Apple, we're going to leverage uh, up
1: to four trillion. <laughs>
0: If you want to go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us, we would be very appreciative. Zach, great guest today. Long time friend, someone I've wanted to come on the podcast since the beginning, but for some reason I just kind of kept forgetting to ask her. Quarantine it's, has
1: been nice in terms of uh, people being available for podcasts. I would say that our industry is not suffering.
0: Yeah, it's uh, that people really have no excuse to not come on, right? They're like, oh, I have to do this, this, and that. And you're like, no, you don't. All uh, it's Kristen Soltis-Anderson. She's on, you'll, you've seen her on TV everywhere. Literally, she's been on all the political television shows. And uh, overall, a great person. So yeah, we talked to her about polling and her converting and Trump and Bernie and wokeness and all sorts of things. Climate change. Really, climate change
1: really wide-ranging conversation we had which for us not normal
0: Mm-hmm. yeah we try and sneak in some some of the some of the stuff we're used to but yeah it's great so uh any anything before we get to the episode um Nothing you know episode, just continue washing
1: your hands um you know coughing into your uh, not your hands
0: and not just out in the air i don't just don't mm-hmm. get sick guys
1: Stay stay healthy.
0: Don't get sick. All right, let's get to the interview. Zach, back in 2013, I was doing a podcast called "This Feels One Sided," and our next guest was so gracious. She was out in LA. She was so gracious to come on that podcast, and then later in 2013. Just by coincidence, she was named one of 30 people under 30 who are changing the world by Time magazine. I'm not saying that those two things are related, but I'm not not saying that either. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. She she wrote a book called The Selfie Vote, which uh, you all should read, because I like to think that it is relevant in all times even during quarantine and she is a partner and co-founder at echelon insights and she is also on Sirius XM uh, her show is called the trend line with Kristen Soltis Anderson oh and there's Fox she does so much Zach. I can't even I can't even wrap my head around how much she does and I'm constantly forgetting how much she does she's also on Fox nation Kristen what's the name of your show on Fox nation
2: It's called What Are the Odds? But I should add, the the thing that I am most proud of right now Mm -hmm. is that I am building a bustling island in Animal Crossing during this quarantine, and that's really the accomplishment I'm the most proud of right now.
0: It's Kristen Soltis Anderson, everybody. Oh, wait, the most important, lest, lest I forget your most important accomplishment is marrying my oldest friend, a man I met on the first day of kindergarten, Chris Anderson, I personally think that is your best accomplishment.
2: That, I, hard to disagree with that. That's <laughs> facts. So you're, facts.
0: An, you're Animal Crossing and you didn't do uh, Stardew Valley. You haven't, like, you've done Stardew Valley, so you haven't Oh, really...
2: I've done Stardew Valley more hours than I can possibly comprehend. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to avoid dipping back into that particular addiction. So I've been trying to find new, hopefully healthier addictions during this time of quarantine.
0: Like Animal Crossing.
2: Like Animal Crossing. (laughs)
1: Yeah. See, I feel so out of the loop because I don't have a switch. And I I remember thinking like, oh, I got to figure out what this Animal Crossing app is everyone's talking about. And then I I find out it's not even an app. And I'm like, man, I like totally missed the boat on this.
0: Yeah, exactly. During quarantine, we're we're getting back into non-app related things. We're, we're, we're taking it back, we're throwing back, we're going back to video games, we're not doing apps anymore. Right,
1: no, that was my, you know, in my mind, I'm like, oh, everything is like device neutral. You just use whatever like screen you have and you can play it. And so, yeah, I was totally caught off guard by the Animal Crossing trend.
0: How's your quarantine, Kristen?
2: I feel very fortunate. Um, there are mm-hmm. so many people who are struggling, who, you know, they have family members who have gotten it. Um, of course. Well, I, well, Chris has you a close think, family yeah. member who got it, yeah. um, you know, it's and was very sick. So you've got the health side of it. You've got the economic side of it, where, I mean, just uh, this week they announced another Six point six million people filing for unemployment for the first time. Which, if you add up the last three weeks, it's like seventeen million people. So I feel badly. That's
1: again, like I yes, that was not a that was not like the the same six.
2: No, no, it's a new six point six million, and they revised last week's number up to like six point eight. It's it's bad. So I feel badly that I like. On the one hand, I am realizing how much certain pieces of what I do. Are not necessary for the functioning of society you know Mm -hmm. like (laughs) writing a column in a newspaper I enjoy doing it I am glad that I have a job doing it but it is not necessary for the functioning of society you know it really underscores the doctors the nurses the folks that make sure you get food on the table the folks Mm -hmm. that keep society functioning like it really becomes clear what is and is not essential so I feel very fortunate that so far I'm, I'm healthy. My husband's healthy. You know, we've, neither of us has had a significant job impact, but we are among the lucky ones. And I, I mean, this is, it's just such a bizarre time to be in. My, my friend, Peter Suderman from Reason Magazine, he tweeted something yesterday that, that resonated with me, which was like, you're going about your day and things are mostly normal. You know, you load the dishwasher, you take out the trash, you make food, but every like hour or so you've got to shut down the alarms in your brain that are saying this is the strangest thing we've ever lived through Mm -hmm. but like you just kind of have to block that out and just like i'm just loading the dishwasher (laughs) try not to think about it but this is a genuinely insanely bizarre time i mean a month ago I was, I had traveled, I was out of the country. I like flew to Aruba for a friend's wedding. And we were kind of joking at the reception, like, man, I hope they don't shut down travel into the U.S. It would be so bad if we got stuck here on this island. And then like a week later, we were all actually in lockdown. Like it wasn't some, you know, funny joke anymore. It was serious.
0: I mean, it really, I, I think I've said it kind of jokingly, but also seriously it really was rudy gobert the utah jazz forward like that to me was the tipping point because that's when the nba just stopped like they they were about to play a game oklahoma city right zach they were about to play yeah, a game. yeah no because i'm just... from
1: i grew up in oklahoma so i had personal friends that were at this game and were tweeting what's going on yada yada and At the time, I was still very on the, you know, oh, this is going to be, like, swine flu and bird flu and SARS or whatever. Like, it's bad, but it's, you know, it is what it is. And when they canceled the game because a player had it, um, it was like, uh, this is crazy. And we kind of took note of the fact that, like, there were no tests, but then also they had one (laughs) at the, um, like, Cox Convention Center in Oklahoma City. (laughs) Um, But because that was the... That one was the where they canceled the players and all the fans were there and then I think it was the same day that they just said basketball's over.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that to me was when it it got serious cuz it as soon as you started seeing people giving up tons of money that is when it, right. that's when it clicked.
2: Yeah, when for me it was when Vegas announced that they were just shutting down the casinos Whoa, because yeah, I mean yeah, these yeah. casinos are built so that they don't have to shut down for A single minute because the amount of money that a casino loses when it's closed for a minute and the fact that vegas is just like nope we're done
0: yeah is wild but think
2: about all the things people touch in a casino like i mean
0: literally everything
2: everything like i mean that to me has been another thing that has been really eye-opening through all of this just as like a day-to-day life sort of thing you know when i still leave the house to go do grocery shopping you know periodically realizing how much stuff you touch out Mm. in the world that normally I would never have thought twice about. And now I'm like, like, how can I ever sit on an airplane, like where my arm is touching another person's arm for three hours on a flight? Like, how will I ever be able to go back to that knowing that this is it's just the amount of stuff you touch on a daily basis suddenly dramatically becomes evident to you.
1: Yeah, I don't know that we're going to be able to unsee that because I've always been the type that, you know, I wash my hands, um, you know, coming out of the restroom or before I eat. And otherwise, unless they like appear dirty, it doesn't or, you know, like if you cough into them. But like usually there's some very obvious reason to wash my hands. And now it's like, okay, I touched something like now I have to wash my hands. And I've left a couple times to pick things up. And it is funny. As soon as I get out of my car, I'm like, okay don't touch anything like yeah. back into stuff. then I'm like, wait, I, I like opened this with my sleeve, but then I'm like touching my sleeve. I like it. it <laughs> I don't know that we're all going to be able to unsee the, the hidden germs everywhere.
0: I, I went to the grocery store and I grabbed something I didn't need. And I was just like, well, I guess I'm buying this now. Like I didn't, I felt weird actually putting it back on the shelf. But
2: That's probably the right call for, public safety reasons. It's also been fascinating to watch like the evolution of how businesses have dealt with this. So we had, there's a a little restaurant on the corner by my house that opened a couple of months ago. And, you know, the first week of, it wasn't even official lockdown, but it was, you know, most offices had closed. I think the NBA had said they weren't doing the season. Everyone was really on edge. And this restaurant, you know, was obviously no longer seating patrons, but they were they were switching pretty quickly to a takeout model. Mm. But you know, we walked in to pick up takeout that first Monday, and the the main waiting area is still pretty full of people, and everybody's trying to like optimize their you know maximum distance away from others. But you still had you know like a dozen people crammed into this little you know, entryway of this restaurant. And then, you know, they hand you the bill and you pick up the pen and you sign and you're like, oh, I touched that pen. Well, that's not good. And like every week, this restaurant's procedures have gotten more and more locked down. So like, mm-hmm. you know, then the next week they would let you in, but there was a line and they had like tape marks on the floor where you could stand. And then the week after that, no people allowed to wait inside, only one person inside at a time, the lines outside, like the the, the target by my house kind of did the same thing. Like I could get go into the target and it wasn't very crowded and I could get stuff and leave. And the last time I went, it was, you had the line outside, everybody's standing six feet apart, only a dozen people in the store at once. Like it, it this has been, in, in the one sense, it's felt so abrupt, but there also has been this gradual even within the overall, oh my gosh, we're in quarantine, like the ramping up of measures as the death toll has increased and as people have realized this is not just a handful of people with this. This is this is massive and we don't know when it's going to stop.
1: Right. I mean, I just think it's, it's hard to imagine life going back to normal very soon, both because, um, you know, if everybody goes back to their normal lives, then we won't have flattened the curve and rates of infection will go up and you know hospitals will get crowded but then two a lot of businesses can't just turn themselves back on um so you know that's where I've i'm like as an accountant i've been helping people apply for the different relief programs so i'm pretty now intimately familiar with them but it's been interesting seeing you know businesses basically you know who had been doing everything right and they were following you know kind of the recommended management theories that they teach at MBA school and you know none of those really factor in maybe the economy gets turned off for a month without warning Um, and so it's it's that to me is the the other impact too is how it's affecting people economically and you know we can't just kind of brush that off as like oh the stocks are down it's like people's jobs are gone
2: yeah and you think about how many one It's not just, oh, people aren't going to restaurants and stores because the government says so. The government tomorrow could lift all of these stay-at-home requirements. And you got to imagine most people are not. Itching to get back on a cruise ship, you know they're not like, man, I was going to take a cruise, but the government said I couldn't leave my house. Yeah. Uh, even once these orders get lifted, I'm probably going to stay in my house for another couple of weeks just to see how it goes before, you know, going back out there. And so, one, it's it's not just that the government has shut things off; it is that people are making the decision to stay home. And it also means like it's this fascinating like second and third order effects of of what businesses are getting hurt. So clearly travel industry restaurants things that you know require people to be in person they're getting hurt but then you think about okay like for instance i i one of my shopping addiction things is i love sephora i don't even wear makeup that that much except for when i go on tv but for some reason i just love like makeup shopping a i'm never gonna go back into a makeup store and like use the tester Mm. again oh my gosh but number two I haven't worn makeup in the last month except for when I went on TV from my house. So like, you know, if you're not going out in front of people, like who is buying makeup? Who's buying party dresses right now? Like if you are in the prom dress industry,
0: who bought a prom dress this year?
2: You know, like it's those sorts of second and third order effects that like we haven't even begun thinking about how many businesses and the variety of types of businesses that are going to be hurt by this.
1: Right, because I think the sort of large and frequent purchases are going to get hit too. Because um, you know whether we're talking about cars or, or washing machines or refrigerators, people buy them on kind of a timeline. Most people, you know, whatever their personal timeline is, but there's you know kind of an aggregate demand of people buying cars and these things. And my guess is if you were going to buy a car this year and you don't have to buy a car this year, a lot of people are not going to be doing that. They're going to think, okay, I can get another year out of this just because of all the uncertainty. You know, $30,000 is a lot to spend if I don't necessarily have to. Um, And who wants to test
2: drive a car right now and like get into a car that other, you know, I I mean, even even thought of that. Yeah, yes, like yes, that. Yes. I mean, because I about a month ago, or I guess two months ago, my husband, and I went to the Washington auto show here just to go look and just see and, you know, check it out. And like, I'm now thinking about all of the cars I sat in and all the little like buttons I had pushed. I'm like, oh, my God, how many other people sat in that car? Like, it's just it is it is astonishing how many things are going to be affected by this and how many things have had to pivot and i wonder how long it takes to go back to normal or are there things that just never go back to normal like will the american office change will people ever want to go to a co-working space again or we zoom our life now like i wonder what are the things that will stick what do you guys think are the things that are going to stick the most out of this
1: i do think that um trying to avoid distance traveling will probably become a trend. And one of those things is that I saw this morning an interview with like one of the big fashion houses, basically saying we've just become aware of how much we travel and jump on planes just to do it. And now that we can't, we've realized we can operate without doing this. Yeah, And so I do, we're all kind of uh, George Clooney and up in the air, I think finding out like, oh, okay, we don't need an in-person meeting. And so I do think that that component will probably never come back in a business sense because it's now been proven what can happen without traveling. And so it's going to be hard to justify the cost. I I think.
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask Kristen about with your polling is you're on the road a lot and you, you actually have to go into these rooms because there's a lot, I mean, it involves, you know, question. It's just questions. You can't really ask over zoom. Like, what is it? Is this, how is this going to affect that? Are you going to, I mean, people still want data and people still want these polls conducted. So I assume that your industry is one that may not be affected a ton, at least when things get back up and running.
2: Well, we've been very lucky in that at the moment, not only are people taking polls, but people are still interested in conducting polls. I mean, things mm. are moving so quickly that if you were a business or a trade association or what have you, you know, all of a sudden the world is changing overnight and you want to know how are people feeling about this? Where is this going to head? Um, I mean, some of the the more negative or unsavory effects of this have been, for instance, in Washington, there's been this uptick in companies hiring lobbyists who had like never hired lobbyists before, but they're like, hey, the the bank of Uncle Sam is open. We got to make sure we get ours, you know, or we got to make sure that we've got the right provisions in these big laws Congress is passing. Sure. So there's a ton, you know, if you work in the political polling space, actually there is a lot of interest now in knowing how are people reacting to things how much pain is out there is there optimism what do people think is working how long can we sustain this there's a ton of questions people want answers to but there are other things that we can't do anymore so you know uh, about 3 weeks ago or the it was like the last week when people were still going to offices around here i had some staff down in louisiana doing some focus groups like in person sitting in a room with 10 people i can't imagine when the next time is that we're going to do an in-person focus group Um, but there are things you can do there are other tools there are online focus groups there are things called qual boards which is kind of like a message board but you've got two dozen people in it and it's moderated by a moderator and it's less horrible than most message boards on the internet. Um, so there will be things that we'll do that where you can replace or have a close substitute. But the other thing that's gonna affect you know, our business or, or what folks like me do is a big piece of what I do involves going to conferences. Going to conferences to speak about things, you know, an industry will will want to give their members here's a, the lay of the land on how people think about what we do. Um, an example is last year I went to uh, the National Beer Wholesalers Association. They had a conference and they wanted to know, you know, what are what are millennials thinking, and in particular, what are things that might affect their industry. So I get flown out to go to a conference and talk about polling findings and things when you know conferences are toast for months on end mm-hmm. so that's like again one of those you know maybe second order effects of on the one hand a core of a lot of what we do in our business won't change but the applications of what we do with polling some of those applications are, are gone for the moment and we don't know when they'll come back
0: yeah the conference the conference thing with with vegas is another thing like they we all we think about them shutting down because they're gambling, but. Uh, I mean, they're huge for those conferences, right? So that's another... Yeah, like
1: when I was in the airline industry, that was where we had our annual like airline accounting conference. Every Mm -hmm. year was in Vegas, usually at like Treasure Island. And so I, like I've never been to Vegas just to like goof off. Um, But I've been for plenty of like professional events because it's it's just like the perfect spot for that. But it's because everything is so, it's for reasons, it's the reasons that it's perfect are also the reasons that it's like a like, Easy to spread virus type. Yeah, place. Zach
0: never goofed off in Vegas. He only went there very professionally. Every every single time he went, it was very, very professional. <laughs> you know, just the just the the main justification. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, but
1: I, I would imagine from a polling standpoint, a lot of the a lot of what drives maybe the type of polls that are taken or how um, like participants are selected or how it goes is driven by Rob voter data and so when i look at like the primary in wisconsin i i don't like what does that data even mean like the voting was not normal they had social distancing and a lot of people probably didn't vote because they didn't want to leave their house and you know there's just nothing normal about that group and so like any exit polling from that or even just numbers of voter turnouts and the kind of inputs i would imagine that's going to cause problems with the ability to forecast the general election and just you know be a problem with gathering data going forward do you think that's a thing
2: I think it's going to be potentially a huge thing especially if the virus kind of has a resurgence in the fall um, there are some states that are are well set up for this they already have mostly mail-in voting um, there are a handful of states where they have mail-in voting plus, what some folks, especially Republicans, would call sort of ballot harvesting, where, you know, yeah. you can have a volunteer come around to your house and pick up ballots. I would suspect, on the one hand, mail-in voting becomes more popular. On the other hand, something like ballot harvesting, both Republicans dislike it and believe that it leads to more voter fraud. Or that's what they say. Although the the one most High-profile instance of ballot harvesting being voter fraud was a Republican in North Carolina Yikes. who was doing it. Um, but, but also, I mean, then it's just they people just going, caught, do- you know, <laughs> well, it, pe- people going door to door and you know, touching things other people have touched. That could be a potential problem. But. The idea of having people go and stand in lines outside polling places and having volunteers, I mean, a lot of the way that we conduct elections in person is going to be untenable if this virus has has had a resurgence. So states would be smart now to begin coming up with compromises that that both parties can agree on that are smart ways to do this, because one of the problems Wisconsin had was that a lot of these changes were all kind of being proposed last minute, which is what led to the legal rulings that, no, you cannot just change the rules of an election at the last minute. Well, November is a long way away. So start making these these changes now to begin at least putting in place as contingencies. Um, The other thing that it could affect, you know, if you, you asked about the polling impacts, one of the ways that pollsters predict who will or won't turn out in an election is often by looking at have they voted in the past. Now, it's not 100% predictive. There are some folks that have been reliable voters that go, I hate all these candidates and I'm staying home. And there are some folks that...
1: Kind of picking a likely voter category?
2: Yeah. You know, when we determine who a likely voter is, it's usually heavily based on past voting history. But if now, all of a sudden, there are huge disincentives to going out to a polling place and very different election laws state to state, I mean, that's going to be a very complicated thing for pollsters to begin figuring out is how does this potentially affect turnout? And what about our old turnout models uh, do we really need to reevaluate in the face of this?
1: Yeah, I I thought that the turnout models were really interesting in 2016. And I I don't know how this is going to make it even crazier, but there was... Um, in a lot of the polls that obviously showed Trump not winning um, on you had different explanations offered there was the sort of shy Trump voters because obviously especially anybody kind of professional managerial class like they weren't going to admit that they are voting for him um, and then there was this idea that there was like you know a conspiracy about it but I think a lot of it was that you know those turnout models can't necessarily factor in like an energy shift and so when you look at you know, what they predicted the turnout would be for, for instance, like black voters who who break heavily Democratic. Well, you know, you were looking at data from the first black president and then the new candidate for the party was Hillary Clinton. And it was like, well, clearly like the, like, I don't, you, you know, you can't just like go cut your numbers haphazardly based on that. But I remember thinking like, okay, guys, like more Democrats voted. So more Democrats are getting polled because from a statistical standpoint, like how could you justify not, doing that and so once like the actual data was there it was like yeah i mean if people voted how they were predicted to vote The thing that you can't predict is whether they were going to or not. I don't know if that makes sense.
2: No, it it does make sense. And the good news is that the national polls in 2016 still got it about right. Uh, On average, national polls in that last week of the campaign showed Hillary Clinton up by about three points. And the national popular vote, she won it by about two points. Uh, That's just not how we pick presidents. So, you know, those national polls wound up being kind of right but also totally irrelevant um, to the ultimate decision of who the president would be when the polling industry did a whole big postmortem to figure out why the models had been so wrong what they sort of settled on was look the national polls were good but there were a handful of states you know your michigan's your wisconsin's etc where there wasn't a ton of public polling but the public polling that did exist Uh, was off by a lot, which made people think, oh, the blue wall is safe. If Donald Trump can't knock down the blue wall, he can't be president. Therefore, our model says 70 percent Hillary Clinton likelihood of winning. Um, What they found was that it it was less that the that, that the turnout problem was polls were missing voters without a college degree, and that in past elections, that actually hadn't been a huge deal, that voters with college degrees and voters without college degrees had tended to vote about the same way, uh, that it was, it just wasn't a huge difference. In the same way that if I said, you know, do people who are left-handed or right-handed vote differently? Like the, diff- the difference would probably be non-existent. So if I do my poll and my proportion of lefties to right-handed people is off, it doesn't really affect the result because it's not a meaningful variable. Um, but in this last election, College degree was a meaningful variable. And so if you didn't have the right proportions there, your poll was going to be way off. And that's what happened in your Wisconsins and your Michigans, et cetera, that these polls, if you don't take that into account, they're getting tons of people who have college degrees, who are working your normal nine to five schedule. So they're home at night when the pollster calls, they're picking up the phone, or if it's an online poll, they're more likely to have high speed internet in their home, those sorts of things. So all of these biases baked into the industry made it more likely that you would get people with college degrees and and too many of them and this was the f- the first election that where that was a really really big problem and it was a problem we found out about only after the fact so now good pollsters are watching out for that they're making sure that the education level of their sample looks like what we know from census data, et cetera, it's, it's kind of supposed to look like that it's at least in the ballpark. And that can mm-hmm. have huge effects on the results. Um, there's a high profile example, even this past, just a couple months ago, where um, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, like the, one of the biggest papers in Georgia, did a poll and it found Donald Trump in bad, in bad shape in Georgia. And everybody was like, oh my gosh. If Trump is losing Georgia, if he's only up by two in Georgia, he's going to lose the White House. And then folks dug into the numbers and said, wait a minute, this is showing 65 percent of uh, Georgia voters have college degrees. And like there is no state in America. This is like no shade to Georgia. There is not a state in America where you have that higher proportion of people with four year degrees or higher. And so once they adjusted for that in future polls, suddenly Trump started doing a lot better. And it's not because people had changed their mind on Trump. It's because they finally got that proportion correct.
0: That's good that, that you uh, pointed out no shade to Georgia. As an avid University of Florida football fan, I know that I have you... plenty
2: of shade for Georgia on <laughs> yeah. other fronts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have
1: lots of shade for Georgia. I, I have factual evidence that the devil indeed went down to Georgia. But um, mm-hmm. so- One category, this is sort of random that it reminded me that I've heard is that um, a lot of people talk about how women vote, but I have heard, and maybe you can tell me if this is true or not, that you would, uh, a really important differentiator is married women and unmarried women, and that married women vote like men, and unmarried women vote in their own kind of unique way, and that, like, is that true?
2: Well, so married women do vote more conservatively than unmarried women. And that can be for a variety of factors. I mean, I'm always reluctant. Anytime I hear they're like, oh, married women vote like men because their I guess husbands tell that, them. I, kind of, like, I know that's not what you were saying. I, know. But- I
1: guess if you were to take just like a sample of men married and unmarried, like just a mix and say, here's this, and then a sample of married women, it would look similar. Like it'd be like, okay, these groups behave similarly. But then like unmarried women. So yeah, I guess not like they ask their husband who to vote for and anything like that. But yeah.
2: Right. Anyway. So the the exit polls in 2016 showed Donald Trump losing married women, but only by two points. And he wins married men by almost 20 points. So there's a pretty big difference between married men and married women. Actually, married women vote a lot like Single men. (laughs) If you actually look, if you're looking for the group that Mm. they're the the closest to, Um, and that's because you know men tend to be a little more uh, Republican, women tend to be more Democratic. That is not a Trump era phenomenon. That is not even a 21st century phenomenon. This has been the case for decades and decades and decades, and there are a a million underlying reasons for that. But also, you know, folks who are married, uh, that tends to correlate with more uh, more likely to be religious, more likely to be church going. You know, a whole bunch of other factors so it's it's hard to disentangle is it the fact that they're married that makes them more conservative is it the fact that they're more conservative that makes them married you know all of those different things um come into play but it's it's i think that one you know when we talk about the gender gap I was just looking at this this morning for my radio show, The Trendline with Kristen Soltis anderson on mm-hmm. Sirius XM's POTUS Channel One Twenty Four. Uh, that you know, <laughs> people talk a lot about how badly Donald Trump does with women, and it is true he does not do very well with women. But well, the yeah, reason it's why on his three
1: wives, you know, well the reason oh, wait, you why mean, <laughs> you mean voting,
2: Got voting, voting. Yeah. The reason why his numbers have fallen, uh, you know, since the twenty sixteen election, and why he went from hey, I'm losing to Hillary Clinton by two in the popular vote to now like polls on average show him losing to Biden by six or seven. It has been equally driven by men and women, I'm finding. So he's he's doing less well among women, but he's also doing less well among men. He won men by like 11 points when he ran in 2016. And now he tends to win them by only like three or four, depending on the poll you look at. So, you know, he he has his his decline is not just among women or not just among college educated, this or that, like his decline has been across a lot of different demographic groups, which to me underscores that he has focused so heavily on his base and locking down those who already like him and those who are Republican and has just not been focused enough on those outside of his base, those who already love his tweets, those who already love his style, etc. There just hasn't been enough outreach to those who are not already MAGA fans. And that's going to bite him in in 2020 if he doesn't turn those numbers around.
1: Do you think that some of that could be attributable to um, an increase of soy intake among men? (laughs) I've heard this floated by some commentators.
2: (laughs) Dare I even ask what commentators? Good God.
0: They're the ones. Who are the
1: big soy boy truthers?
0: the The ones that sell the, what does Alex Jones sell? what what are like the infowars life
1: products yeah uh yeah i don't know what any of them are called i just know that the supplier that makes alex jones's supplements is the same supplier that makes um gwyneth Gwyneth paltrow's Paltrow's. goop supplements yeah Yeah, and they just get late one one conveyor belt leads them to be layer level uh labeled alex jones infowars life and the other one is goop by gwyneth paltrow (laughs) um so i if you're if you shop for one or the other, uh, you should always do some comparison shopping to save Man, money. Man,
2: would I, wouldn't I love a focus group of the people that fall into the Venn diagram of goop readers who also read Alex Jones?
0: I bet there's more than we would think. I, no, I'm I mean, 100%. I'm a, 100%. I can say that the
1: the hosts of the Red Scare podcast fall into that demographic mm-hmm. and probably half their listeners.
0: Yeah. They, uh, um, Kristen, it's been here at the Roman Circus podcast, we... Actually, I should point out, Zach, we got Stephanie Slade on the podcast because I basically cornered her at Kristen's house, begging her to come on the podcast. That was which, fun, yeah. Which led us to become an open and out theocratic monarchical podcast. But clerico fascist, yeah, that I'm too. Crypto. I've seen
1: people put that in their Twitter bios, and it's I, I had to look it up because I didn't know exactly what they even meant. Well, it's a, it's a LARP thing.
0: So then we. But we've also, as we pointed out numerously, gotten a bad review because we are apparently the number one Trump, pro-Trump Catholic podcast out there. But also, if you're keeping up with this, really,
1: yeah, we did. We, this this person is is. Uh, we should pray for this person, but, yeah, because he. Was, I have him muted, but he responds to all of my tweets, and everything that I say is apparently. We're the we're the number one MAGA podcast, and like you may even hear from him in your mentions because he goes after our guests. Of why are you going on the number one Catholic for Trump podcast? And I was like, we make fun of Trump a lot.
0: Well, but then we appreciate
1: the aesthetic. But
0: you know, (laughs) yeah. The third, but the third part is, uh, we've also spoken positively about Bernie. So apparently, we could also be labeled Catholic socialist podcast. You're you're an enigma. Yeah, you're a mystery. So, with Bernie officially dropping out, we could my point is we could really use some good news, so we're pivoting over back to the pro Trump Catholic podcast so we need do we have good news about Trump's polls? what I know you just said like he's down, but do we think that that won't matter? What do we think
2: well we i it's, I'm so reluctant to make anything even approaching a prediction because mm-hmm. things are so bananas right now, but mm-hmm. um, something that I've noticed that I think is curious is. Before all this happened, Trump's job yeah. approval tended to be about 45%. And that was like good for him, like bad for historical comparisons. What was but the good...
0: pollster's joke? Mr. 42 or Mr. 43? Well, there
2: was, was a while I would joke that he was Mr. 40%. And that was like what he was shooting for. Because in his right. first term, or in his first year of his first term. First term, uh, exactly. Well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, he, you know, his numbers, I, I mentioned first term because usually your numbers are pretty good then and his numbers mm-hmm. were like, dismal, like right, right off the bat, and then sort right. of rebounded, I, you know, he came out of impeachment, better than he had had been pretty much since he'd been inaugurated. And those numbers, they, they spiked a little bit at the start of this pandemic, there's like a teeny bit of a rally around your leaders effect, and that has sort of subsided. Um, and you have now seen you know, his job approval is like 45%. And when people are asked, to you approve or disapprove of how he's handling the coronavirus situation, it's like 47%. So still wow. less than half. But he's still getting much better marks on the economy. Yeah. Even in polls where people are like, we're in a recession and it is a worse recession than 2008. You will still have like 50 some percent of people saying, I approve of the job Trump is doing.
0: Well, he so at the moment, like, people
2: are not blaming him for you know 17 million people out of work like that's what i was gonna
0: say yeah yeah he is
2: avoiding being held to blame at the moment for the economic pain people are feeling they they are like look this is just it you it couldn't be helped now i don't know that that will stick especially as democrats i can imagine them running lots of ads saying this didn't have to happen it didn't have to be this bad if trump Mm -hmm. had been paying attention you wouldn't have had to have lost your job and they will try to pin this on him and that will be an ongoing narrative for the next few months but at the moment even though his job approval has sunk back down his job approval on the economy is remarkably strong considering how bad the economy actually is
1: yeah i know. part of me thinks that a lot of that maybe has to do with like his his rhetoric around trade and jobs and how a lot of that you sort of start to think like i think when people think of the economy um like, I, I guess I don't know what, when you say somebody like, what's the economy, what they're even thinking, like a certain population is going to think the stock market. Well, and it's all fake, certain, Zach, remember. This well, that's the discussing. thing, like, it's such a broad term. Um, I think the big thing that he has going for him into this election is that in the previous election, like, we were all basically told that the world would end if this person became president. And that obviously didn't happen. Like,
0: well, it's not trying that hard now. But.
1: Well, not that, yeah, no, but you know, we were. It's like we were told that there was no turning back. Like, you know, this was, uh, like, our cons- our republic was at risk if we elected this man, and he's been kind of, um, like, like run of the like. He hasn't been remarkably different in his policy approaches on some things, but like, I I think the fact that the world didn't end after he became president provides a certain security to people who might vote for him this time around
2: yeah people are reluctant to change leaders in the midst of crisis unless it is directly clear that the crisis is caused by the leader in charge and i think that's why uh trump has been so adamant on saying look this came to us from china that's why he talks about that a lot um the other thing though that i think is insulating him from economic criticism is that one, the economy was in such good shape before this started. So you can imagine this crisis hitting in a time when the economy had been even more weak and more fragile, that it could be even more devastating. Um, But two, a lot of things he's talked about in terms of trade, you know, he's been a big proponent of we need to be manufacturing things here in the U.S. We shouldn't be relying on things made from China. And then all of a sudden you see stories about, wait, we're, all of our medical masks are manufactured in China, and now they, they're not sending them to us? Hang on, what's going on there? You know, so those there are some stories that are coming out of this that in some ways are validating messages Trump has pushed, which I think is part of why his economic job approval numbers are at the moment still separate from the handling of the virus numbers.
1: I think that's what I was trying and failing to say <laughs> a few minutes ago. Um, that's so what we, that's thing, our
0: motto of our podcast. What we were trying and failing to say.
1: Yeah, it's it was interesting with uh, Bernie dropping out. A lot of the online leftists were like, "Oh, you know, Trump's going to win by a mile against Biden," yada yada. And I, I think that I think that the Democratic Party obviously realized that they don't need the like the super left Bernie crowd to win, um, or they would have maybe been nicer to them. So I assume that they're not going to make like that big of an error. But then the other thing is I, I think people are heavily over estimating. Maybe the term is the extent that voters care about Biden's like senior moments. I think it's a lot like how Trump was so rough around the edges for a political candidate in 2016. I think the people that are going to vote for him don't care. And the people that dislike him are going to keep screaming about it. But like, I don't really think, I think it's, already factored in that he can't really give a coherent answer to a question or those things like i I think that's fully priced in and there's not like he's not going to lose the election on the basis of of these like brain melting statements that we get out of him do you have any thoughts on that
2: there are two two things that i think could Change that. One is now that he is the Democratic nominee, does the way the media covers these things change? So there have been various points in time when it seemed like Elizabeth Warren was surging and there was lots of focus on Biden, you know, his gaffes, et cetera. But now that he's the Democratic nominee, does does he get any air cover? <laughs> do, do, you know, do, do people co- or now that he's really, really, really in the spotlight, he's the guy. There is no plan B. Mm-hmm. Is there more criticism of it? You know, so I don't know. One, does the coverage of it change? And does that matter? Um, But two, the problem that this could create for Biden is that the core of his message is let's get back to normal. Don't you want a president you don't have to worry about? Don't you want a president that isn't going to cause you stress and keep you up at night um, where you're not worried that he's going to tweet something that starts World War III? Don't you want normalcy, competency, you know, a president that is low risk? And if Biden is selling himself as a president who would be low risk, I think sometimes the senior moment stuff undercuts that, that, that suddenly the idea that you have a president who is you know, maybe not the, the steady, constant he is, he would like to claim to be. That, that's the attribute that I think is most at risk um, of of him having his, you know, Biden-isms, is that if he's trying to sell, I am the president you don't have to worry about who is low risk, but he does seem like maybe there's some risk there, uh, that that could be a challenge. Where Trump has never built himself as low risk. Trump has said, i'm risky and that's the point Mm. um and so that's why i think it could potentially be different
1: because i remember even back in the rnc debates um when he would get booed by the audience members trump would be like well yeah these are the special interests like i'm i'm game over for them like he he definitely pitched himself as like a world changing so i could see how if biden's wanting to be like the boring candidate where we can go back to normal i guess that does sort of directly undercut his message but what were you going to say matt
0: i was going to say i i think that if uh the debates i think if you have to do like if, if they're doing debates in person i feel like it's like right in trump's wheelhouse but if they have to do some sort of weird like zoom meeting debate where it kind of they're in two separate places and trump can't really like effectively kick biden around the debate room i think that will play into biden's hands too like i think any any i think the more remote access stuff kind of plays into in favor of biden i don't have anything to back that up obviously but well yeah. trump well, I mean, also
2: understands the medium of television mm-hmm. so much better than biden thus far has shown he does i mean that mm. very first uh you know video statement from his home where they had like a podium kind of inexplicably in the living room Uh, Is that where he's waving
0: waving over to get the piece of paper or whatever?
2: Yeah. I mean, and look, our choice of president should not be like a reality show. That's not how we should be making these decisions. But we should also be realistic (laughs) about how people are making decisions. And, you know, if there's one thing Trump is generally pretty good at, it is understanding theatrics and visuals and the use of television as a medium to drive your message. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was where when he first popped out, I was thinking he was kind of um, stronger than other Republicans in the fact that he had the the ability to create a spectacle, and that you know, like Rand Paul, for if you were to like a lot of people I knew that were big Rand Paul people jumped to Trump quickly. Mm -hmm. And the thing about Rand Paul is he was really easy to just sort of marginalize out of existence as a presidential candidate. But with Trump, like he always got the cameras turned to him um and i but so much of that was these live events like when he went after like he attacked george w bush's 9-11 record uh as a way of attacking jeb bush <laughs> and as a result because I, I, was it south carolina and what he accomplished in that was in a state that was supposed to be all ted cruz the news was just talking about trump and jeb like he just had this ability to direct the coverage and like immediately following the access Hollywood tapes, they had that second um, presidential debate. And you know, first Trump had the press conference with all of Bill Clinton's uh, accusers and had all those photo ops. and then the debate they were like roving around the stage and so i mean he he knows how to work a crowd and a camera and i i I could see um if we're if we're still in sort of zoom work from homeland i I could see that impacting his ability to uh to sway people mm-hmm. or
0: to to win. Yep. Now uh Kristen, we are a Catholic podcast, so we would be remiss if we didn't ask at least one question fearing off into the Catholic realm. Have and maybe there is no answer to this. I uh what have you do you how often do you do polling as far as religion or uh do people ask you to uh poll that realm? What do you how often does that come up?
2: So usually, you know, any poll we're conducting, we are including religion as one of the things we ask. And, and you don't just ask, you know, what denomination or faith are you, but also how often do you attend religious services? Mm-hmm. Um, there's this was this really fascinating, you know, sort of analysis of the 2016 election that showed Trump did particularly well among those who consider themselves evangelical, but actually didn't report going to church all that much hmm. um, versus yeah. those who, where those who like actually did go to church an awful lot tended to be Cruz fans for much longer. Um, you know, there is, I, I think the big trend that I continue watching is the decline in young Americans affiliation with formal religious traditions at the same time that they continue to say things like I think of myself as a spiritual person I consider myself a person of faith I pray daily that like doctrine and the label of I am you know religion x has been separated from people's thinking about, well, I am a person of faith, I I pray daily, I believe in a higher power, et cetera, et cetera, um, which I, I think is fascinating. The other thing that I am interested in is I talk a lot about Jonathan Haidt's uh, moral foundations theory. How do people make decisions about what is right or what is wrong? And typically what I have found is that, you know, the part of why younger Americans tend to lean more progressive politically is that the moral foundations that young people have tend to line up more with progressives. So caring a lot about issues of fairness and justice, caring a lot about issues of um, care versus harm, and being less focused on things like purity and sanctity, less focused on things like in-group loyalty, and less focused on things like um, authority, you know, obedience, etc. cetera. Um, but I wonder to what extent some of that is changing for Gen Z you've got a lot of discussion in Gen Z, not just about caring and fairness, but about, um, you know, sort of obedience to certain norms about, hey, you're not, this speech is unacceptable. Um, You need, you know, I'm gonna go get the administration at my university involved, because I think there needs to be more authority here instituting bans on speech I don't like, or what have you. That actually like young people, if you may think of millennials as being more skeptical of authority, like Gen Z does not in some ways seem particularly skeptical of authority. Mm -hmm. and you've also got, I think, purity culture that is not popping up in the same way as like the 1990s, you know, purity movements um, or, uh, you know, around sort of sexual behavior, those sorts of things. But it's it's purity around, you know, I'm only going to eat organic food or, you know, I want to get toxins out of my life that like this, the, the, the purity taste bud rather than being activated along the lines you might think as being more traditionally religious. You know, I have to behave in a pure way because the Bible says so, or my religious code says so, but because this food blogger has now substituted as my religion that I follow, or anti-vaccines or what have you, you know, that I'm I'm following this uh, sense of purity off uh, in a, a different direction than perhaps we've seen it before. So, I mean, this is these are all like very poorly formed thoughts, but when I'm thinking about... Uh, trends in religion and spirituality; those are the things that I'm kind of keeping an eye on, especially as we begin studying Generation Z.
0: So it's the desire to have, like, it, like we we say, you know, we say here. I I don't know why I said that, but you know, it's a common thing of like, uh, you're you're always if you're alive, you're under the authority of something, right? So like, if you if you don't believe in God, that doesn't mean you just miraculously. You miraculously are not under the authority of nothing, right? So these it it kind of shows in that that if they're not so much the traditional uh, religious stuff, they still look for something to kind of tell them what to do, it, whether or not they they want to look at it like that. Is that like so the food blogger? Yeah, that they're becomes looking the, for
2: uh, some kind of. Uh, higher authority to mm-hmm. to tell them how to behave, and so you know, for some young people that may be religion, for others that may be science. Um, or mm. I, I actually I hear this talk a lot come up in the context of. Young people caring passionately about the issue of climate change mm-hmm. and how, you know, instead of I have oh, a religion man. and I, I go to church. It, uh, I always
1: compare it. I always compare to the left behind books because when I was in elementary school, everyone was reading those and talking about the rapture and like, are you ready for the rapture? The world's ending. <laughs> and I feel like it's just like the same thing with the climate crisis stuff, like not even I don't even think I'm super skeptical of it. But it it's like anytime I get in those conversations, it's like whatever. I can do to agree with them so that they stop bringing it up because it's so like fundamentally like it's so ingrained in them that this is like tomorrow we're going to wake up and like all the water is going to have dried up or something and it is a very I mean like I'm I'm pretty sustainable like I'm you know I recycle and and like whatnot but I it is a religion 100% whether true or not people just take it to such a level
2: well and, you, and anyway. you've got dynamics of you know if you don't believe 100 percent that the world is going to end in the year 2024 whatever i mean i'm i'm grossly exaggerating sure. here but yeah, yeah. but right. but in some ways well not
1: really like, you, you know kind of exaggerate <laughs> they, they give it the 12-year clock
2: well and it you know that if you don't if you question that then you are a heretic and if you are uh, not monitoring your carbon footprint at every turn, you are a sinner. That there, that there are religious overtones to the way that particular issue is talked about that makes it, I think, distinct from other issues, um, but but it, I, I think makes it very interesting to study because we know that Generation Z is so focused on it, views this as the core issue of their lifetimes. In poll after poll I do, when you ask people what the top issue is, for young Americans, it is the environment and climate change consistently. And it really? was not always the case. Uh, that 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 was so. Yeah, so I feel this like millennials don't thing.
1: Like I feel like it's a niche issue with millennials, but the ones that are in it are fat. That's interesting. I always think wokeness seems like a religion. Like for as much as people live and die by Harry Potter, you had a lot of people ready to like burn their Harry Potter collections because they decided J.K. Rowling was um, a turf a, a trans exclusionary radical feminist because she stood up for some like British office worker that got canceled for saying something transphobic and uh people were like i mean, the tweets i was reading and obviously twitter is not representative of anything but they're like i grew up with these books and knowing that like trans youth aren't going to be able to relate to harry potter because the author hates them is like i don't want these books anymore and like wokeness to me is like the number one religion of of like popular culture
0: yeah do you so do even- any polling on wokeness <laughs>
2: Uh, not specifically along those yeah. lines. I mean, I, yeah. I have done um, some polling of uh, American, like high school and college students, and. I think some good news specifically on the issue of do people feel uncomfortable speaking out in class about their views that they're worried a professor or teacher is going to come down on them et cetera, and find that that's it not it's not like a hugely widespread thing that for the most part the biggest thing you find is young conservative Americans being kind of uncomfortable talking about their political views with their friends so it's less like oh I'm worried my professor is going to give me a d on my paper and more like I'm worried my friends are going to be mad at me if they find out if like i i come out as conservative
1: Mm -hmm.
2: um that's primarily what i've i've seen in research
1: they like they have to kind of keep it on the the dl that they're conservative and they like you know walk around the conservative book section of barnes and noble (laughs) and try to like discreetly make eye contact with people and like never mind (laughs) conservative (laughs) cruisers (laughs) (laughs) um yeah in Anyway, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I feel like even when I was younger, that was a big thing people said. I don't know the extent that it was true, but I remember everyone's like, oh, if you're conservative, you can't have friends and you're going to be this, that. And I don't remember that really ever bearing out, Um, but it may just have been the types of friends I had. Yeah, see, I I think
2: when we were growing up, I definitely, as somebody who was a little more conservative, you know, it was not like the way I made friends, but it also wasn't super relevant when, to most of my friendships. I don't think I really lost any friends over it. I do think kids now do lose friendships over it. Um, there's a particularly horrifying cover story I think it was either Esquire or GQ or one of those magazines they followed a high schooler around a Wisconsin high school for a day and he kind of identified himself as like eh, you know I guess I'm more slightly politically conservative but mostly apathetic but they talked about how at that high school like the cliques at school were broken out by you had the Bernie bros you had the wow. MAGA guys who had their pickup trucks you had you know like that. the politics had pervaded AKA high the school. two
1: coolest groups you could be in
2: Clicked, <laughs> <laughs> like that, that the cliques at my high school were like people who played magic the gathering and the kids who were on the lacrosse team and like mm. that, yeah we were ours not political like played halo at my in school. the
1: library uh, yeah we didn't have political cl- that's a good point i'd never really heard of that but I, I guess like i was out of high school before obama i would imagine that obama was maybe the beginning of of like hyper upset cuz like you know people just like lived and died by him and like that the hope uh logo and stuff and then yeah bernie obviously is like, his cult of personality is massive. Um, and then Trump, that's, like, all he has. So mm-hmm. that's weird. Yeah. The that's... hats. It's because it, it, they, like, made it so intertwined with a fashion accessory. Maybe that's how it, like, became more like that.
0: Yeah, that, like, four-cent piece of fabric that they turned into a hat becoming a fashion accessory.
1: I know. Aren't they, like, made in China?
0: I, I would imagine so, or maybe they were until they.
1: No, yeah, they. The one, okay. I I ordered one for posterity purposes, and I got canceled online the other day because I put it on during a Zoom meeting as a joke. <laughs> but um, it does the tag here says "Made in USA."
0: Yeah, yeah. That uh. Anyway, Kristen, you're you're a a fellow convert like Zach to Catholicism. When what year did you come into the church? Two
2: thousand and seven.
0: Two thousand and seven.
2: And I'm so sad this week for all of those who are finishing up their RCIA and this, you know, Easter Vigil was going to be their f- formal entrance into the church. And now, you know, we're doing this all by Zoom. I am I like, you know, there are lots of things that are heartbreaking about this moment, but that's that's one that really like sticks with me. My, yeah. my confirmation Vigil Mass was very important to me for very obvious reasons. And um, I'm just I'm sad about that for so yeah, many people out there.
0: It really is tough. I, I. I know, a Gal in New York. Uh, she was able to sneak. She was going to get confirmed this weekend, but she, you know, things change, and she was able to sneak it in. Like she got the the priest got permission from the bishop, and uh, did the, all the proper things needed to. So she was able to get confirmed a few weeks ago, and obviously it doesn't it doesn't take away the importance of it, but it changes the whole. Like, RCIA, from what I understand, is like, I you know, I, I was cradle Catholic, so I didn't have to go through it, but it's such a process that by the end, it's like, you know, it's the sense of relief that not only did you do it, but you don't have to do it again, right? And <laughs> to not, not, that's not a knock on RCIA as much as just the mindset of, you know, going through I something. I do think a lot of people don't
1: know that it it's... Um it's designed to be to your benefit like RCIA is, Mm -hmm. and it's not intended to be a barrier. Um, Sure. The church wouldn't put up. There's a lot of leeway the church. Right. And so, you know, I've, I've encouraged people. I'm like, talk to your priests. Like you can still become Catholic in most, you know, pretty much in any circumstance, just insist with them. And, but don't think that the process that we have for RCIA is, um, you know, inflexible. It, because I didn't, I couldn't do RCA when I came in because of, uh, I had night classes. And so I worked with the priest one-on-one. Um, and then at my parish, we just do it year round. Like they just, once people are ready, they, they just go ahead and do it. Um, though I liked having the Easter vigil thing and thinking back to like my vigil in 2012. And I had a friend coming in this year. Um, and yeah, like it's, there's not going to be a vigil. So it's interesting to think about and yeah, I agree
0: with you Kristen though that it is kind of sad. Yeah, it, it I mean the whole thing is super weird of not even going to church on Easter. I mean obviously it's the whole game is. I got I I missed it cuz I was I was still asleep like a bum, but I got an email that I was going to I did, I was going to jump on last week the the Zoom mass that uh you you all were attending Kristen for yeah chris's like,
2: uncle uncle dave he's he he powered through COVID 19 yeah like and has been doing mass via zoom
0: yes I, I i it was a little but he had the virus yeah, oh yes it. no <laughs> that's wild yeah. and
2: so from quarantine like in his room he was leading mass it, it was unbelievable
0: yeah yeah so that's amazing i mean i i saw a. Uh, The parish i attend here is going to live stream the easter vigil so if i'm awake on saturday at like 11 at 11 p.m i can pipe in for a three-hour live stream of a mass but it's uh hopefully hopefully you know obviously with the church it can't change but hopefully that's one thing we get sorted and i am kind of worried i don't know if it's irrational but that Some people just won't come back because it will have been like two months and they'll just kind of carried on. But maybe it's just an irrational fear. Well, this will
2: also be subject to, you know, what we were talking about at the very beginning, where even once, you know, restaurants reopen, how excited am I to go sit in a restaurant Mm
0: -hmm. next to
2: other people? You know, our church is going to have to say, look, we can only have people every other pew or, you know, those even once. The lockdown ends well some people some people may just fall away because they haven't been going but others may want to go but still be reluctant to go sit in a church um until this is you know a vaccine is available and everything can can move forward
1: yeah we'll definitely have to stop shaking hands during mass oh, no. probably say it ain't so Zach. eucharistic no. ministers and uh I have, I have a whole list of liturgical reforms we can make in response to the yeah you know how virus.
0: you know how like the problem with the stimulus package is everyone's trying to throw in all the money they want for their for their like their pre-existing yeah commitments yeah so that's what yeah. zach and i are trying to do with the mass when it gets back up and running we're trying to like throw all the things we want in yeah our
1: agenda our, our agenda was already set so we, we were ready for this um <laughs> yeah. Well, Kristen, we did a poll, and 100% of the hosts of this podcast are thankful
0: that you came oh, wow, to join us.
2: Oh, thank you very what? much, guys.
0: There's zero margin of error. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, You, where can people find you? On Twitter, at KSoul to Sanderson?
2: That's right. Uh, um, on SiriusXM's Channel 124 at 10 a.m. Eastern every Saturday. Um, and then my Fox Nation show is currently on hiatus because... Mm for obvious reasons, I cannot get to New York City to tape it. Um, And we've decided just to postpone it until I can get back in the studio. Um, But that normally would air on Fox Nation on Friday mornings at 10am.
0: And uh, if you follow her on Instagram, you get to see pictures and video of the real number one person in the Anderson household, Wally, the golden retriever. That is a that's a big draw people love you yes. love the wally posting wally
2: and i have become way too emotionally codependent during all of this <laughs> like <laughs> yep. like we cannot be apart for more than five he's sitting like five feet from me right now I, I like whatever the opposite of social distancing is is like me and wally's bond right now we are
0: wally zach wally admittedly is a very good dog uh When I was last in, I imagine when I was last in DC, I don't know why I said admittedly, I was saying admittedly as a way of saying, I wasn't just saying it because Kristen is on the podcast. Uh, when I was in DC last year, uh, Kristen and I were sitting around with Wally and there was a tornado warning, like within, it was like within a mile of your house. Right, Kristen?
2: Yeah, well, it was it, like an EF zero touchdown on the mall. Like they wound yeah. up finding evidence that like it had uprooted a couple tree. trees. I mean, an EF zero is not really that bad, but it was still like your phone was going off saying like, there's a tornado. This is for real. Seek shelter. And poor Wally, he's such a good dog. He knows he's not allowed to go in the basement. <laughs> and yeah. So we're trying to coax him down the stairs like, well, you need to come in the basement. And he's like, mm, not allowed. Not allowed. Yeah. yeah. So he,
0: he really is quite, he is quite the good dog. And if you look at Kristen's Wikipedia page, it says that Kristen has a dog named Wallace. And then in parentheses, Wally. So <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. Is it short for Wallace? No, it's Walter? not. Or,
2: Although yeah. for a while, my Wikipedia listed that I had a son named Oscar because mm-hmm. my best friend Mary has a son named Oscar. And I had like taken a picture with him at one point. Like people on the internet are so weird and i i am a wikipedia purist i do not believe i should be involved in the management of my own page like that mm-hmm. that's a church and state separation but if anybody <laughs> out there would like to correct the like wildly <laughs> inaccurate misinformation that pops up there i would not say no <laughs>
0: well the 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 link that they used for wally like the link they used to show that it's correct information is to a Instagram post by Echelon Insights and it doesn't even say Wallace in the post. It just says Wally. So it's like someone was just like, yeah, we're just going to name this dog Wallace.
2: It would be very funny if I had a husband named Chris and a dog named Wallace because I'm always going on Oh, Chris I like Wallace's
0: that. Yeah. Show. No, there you go. That you it's your life, you can't escape it. It's just there. I can't there, escape it. Everywhere. Was it is it Chris Wallace that Biden called Chuck Todd or was it
1: the other way around
2: uh, No it was so I was I was on Fox News Sunday that day So I was in the studio and he's interviewing Biden and all of a sudden that clip plays where he's like, Biden's like well thanks Chuck It's good talking to you and Chris, <laughs> Chris Wallace is like Nope nope n- not Chuck It's it's Chris <laughs> It's
1: Chris. He was very gracious though. Yes, like, yes. I He's, a, that he's an, an been...
2: extremely wonderful Classy guy he handled it the perfect Way possible because you yeah, have to say Something to you can't just president. like ignore it well, But right. you know
0: All right, well, uh, thanks for coming by, Kristen. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we will talk to you all next time.